Hi everyone, let me have my welcome to Kales. My name's Mark, I'm one of the ministers here, and a particular warm welcome if this is your first time connecting with us online, or if you're a regular member of the church family, great to have you here. Now today we are coming to the end of our sermon series in the Old Testament book of Job. As we've been wrestling these past few weeks with the problem of suffering and the question why. Why is this happening to me? Job himself had lost everything. His health, his wealth, his family. He feels all alone. He is suffering terribly. He is asking this very question, why, why me? And he longs for an answer. We've seen that Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, have been doing a terrible job of trying to offer Job and answer, miserable comforters you all are. And so throughout the book, Job has been crying out for an audience with God. If only I knew where to find him. And now finally, at the end of the book, God responds to Job. God addresses him personally. This is the single longest speech by God in the whole Bible. Last time we looked at the first part, God as creator. And today, now we're going to look at the second part as God introduces us to these two creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, which have often been interpreted as referring to the hippopotamus and the crocodile, and therefore can seem something of, a, of an anticlimax anti to the book. George Bernard Shaw, the famous sceptic, once quipped in one of his plays that God has to do a far better job of explaining the problem of evil and suffering than saying to Job, you can't make a hippopotamus, can you? And we might be thinking something similar, like what is going on in this final speech? What is God saying exactly? How is this a comfort to Job? And how can this be a comfort to you and I today as we face evil and suffering? Well, let's take a look at it now. The passage splits up into three sections as we're gonna look at God's tone God's creatures and God's blessing. So let's start with God's tone, because verses 6 to 14 of chapter 40 can sound somewhat insensitive to modern ears as God continues to pepper Job with questions. So, for example, take a look at verse 8. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Job has just said in verse 5, in response to the first half of the speech, I have no answer. I'll say no more. I'll keep quiet. But clearly God has more to say to Job as he somewhat sarcastically challenges Job to play the role of judge of all the earth. In verse 10, well then, you adorn yourself with glory and splendour. You clothe yourself in honour and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath, Job, and let's see how you get on at bringing the proud low and dealing with wickedness and ruling this world. Most of you know that I have four children and they sometimes like to tell me that they would want to be in charge of the family and not have to listen to mum or dad. One of them tried it out the other day, took charge of a situation, presumed to know best, started ordering the other three children about just before we were going out, 
put on your shoes, get your jacket on, tells off one for not following the instruction, tells another off for taking too long. Guess how that went down with the other children? I'll tell you how it went down. Don't you speak to me like that. You're not in charge of me. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Whack, punch, tears, carnage, all hell broke loose. I mean, we know, don't we? Just on a human level, how ridiculous it is for a young child to presume that they can take charge of the family, presume to know better than their mum or dad. And look, I would be the first to put my hands up and say, look, I sometimes get it wrong as a parent. But God is perfect in every way. And so God is like saying to Job here, well, you, you think you could do better than me when it comes to ruling this world, dealing with the problem of evil and suffering, that's even more ridiculous. And that is the reason for God's tone here. You, Joe, presume to put me in the dock. You want to accuse me. You're going to question my character, my justice. You want to play that game? All right, I've got some questions for you. In other words, when it comes to the problem of suffering, by all means, let us pour out our soul to God. It is something Job is commended for. The way he seeks God, prays to God, clings to God. Let's be like Job. Let's ask the question why. Even Jesus himself asks it on the cross. But unlike Job, let's be very careful not to go so far as to start questioning God's character God's justice, if I were in charge, because at that point we have gone too far with God, we have overstepped the mark, and we may well find ourselves receiving a firm tone from God in response. Just who do you think you are? I'm God, you're not, let's be clear on that. And it's at this point that God now introduces these two creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan, to press his point home. So let's take a look at these two creatures. First, verse 15. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. And now, chapter 41, verse 1. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? The implication being, of course you can't, but I can. But it still begs the question, what are these two creatures exactly? And how do they serve God's overall point? Let me put it to you that these two creatures are not the hippopotamus, nor the crocodile, nor any other animal for that matter. Three reasons why I put this to you. First, because it doesn't make sense of the different responses Job gives to the two parts of the speech. So after the first half of the speech, we've seen this already, Job says, I have no answer, I'll keep quiet, he's silenced. And that's after God has talked about him being creator of the natural realm. Now, after the second half of the speech, Job is not just silenced, he is repentant. He says in chapter 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The response now, it is deeper. It is more radical. And if God is simply saying, oh, and by the way, you know, I, I made the hippo and the croc too. This just seems to be a continuation of the first speech about God being creator of the natural realm. And not that great a continuation anyway. It doesn't do justice to the more radical response we see from Job here. The second reason why I don't think these two creatures are the hippopotamus or the crocodile is because the verses themselves push us beyond an interpretation of a mere natural animal. And we see this most clearly in the final and climactic statement about Leviathan, who gets more of the focus here than Behemoth in the chapter. And in verse 34, we read of Leviathan that he looks down on all that are haughty, he is king over all that are proud. In other words, this seems to be a, a personification of pride and evil. He's described as a king foremost, an arch enemy of God, if you like. And the third reason, and to me the most compelling reason why this is not about the hippo and croc, is that there is a strong biblical witness for, Levi for Leviathan being a uh, figurative representation of the devil, Satan. So take, for example, Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, where we read that in that day the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. And who is that serpent, according to the opening chapters of Genesis? It is the devil himself. One more cross-reference, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The last book of the Bible, apocalyptic language to describe the war in heaven between Michael and the angels and this dragon on the other side, which, by the way, it fits these verses better than a crocodile. And then we read in verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Now, if this is correct, if it is correct to say that Leviathan is the devil, Satan, that possibly behemoth are the cosmic powers of darkness, then this makes a lot more sense of God's argument and Job's response. You, Job, think you can do a better job of taking charge of the problem of evil and suffering. Let me introduce you to the king of evil in all his monstrous terror. This is like meeting the Demogorgon for the first time in Stranger Things, the death angels in a quiet place. You come face to face with the embodiment of evil and it is way more frightening than we realise. And God asked Job, can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? Can you put a cord through its nose? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Of course you can't. You cannot even begin to deal with the problem of evil. But here's the thing, Job. I can. Verse 15, I made behemoth. Verse 33, Leviathan no more than a creature. And because I made them, I can tame them as easily as you can tame a pet. And that is why Job responds the way that he does. 
No, I, I, I'd heard you with my ears, but now I, I have seen you with my eyes. Not only has Job come face to face with this savage monster who has been terrorizing him the whole time and causing so much suffering and misery to his life, but he has also been given a greater vision of God himself and how in total control God is of Leviathan, Behemoth, how nothing can thwart God's purposes, how God can even use evil and suffering for his greater purposes. In the film Ray, about the life of rhythm and blues musician Ray Charles, there is this heart-wrenching scene. When Ray is going blind as a young boy, he comes home from school, rushes into his house, doesn't see the rocking chair just sticking out a little bit, um, trips over it, goes flying, falls awkwardly on the floor and is crying out to his mother for help. Instinctively, she goes to help him. But realising that this is the day when he has finally gone blind, his eyes no longer work, she realises the best thing that she can do for him now is to keep back and let him cope with life without his eyes and get used to the sounds. Now, it's clear that she loves him. This is really hard for her to do. You can see the tears in her eyes and she makes absolutely sure that no serious harm comes to him, but still allows him to get up by himself, to stumble, to knock onto things, to almost burn him, his hands in the fire, but lets her little boy suffer for these great, this greater purpose. And this is a little picture of how God deals with us as we face evil and suffering. God is always there with us, always loves us th through it, is always watching over us, will never let any ultimate harm come to us. He is in total control of behemoth, leviathan, evil and suffering. No purpose of his for our lives can be thwarted. He can even use evil and suffering to bring about those very purposes. And in fact, we can say now, verse 2 of chapter 42, with even greater confidence than Job, no purpose of yours can be thwarted because God has the scars to prove it. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, where Jesus was spiritually torn apart on the cross by the cosmic powers of evil. As he died for our sin, the wages of sin, death. But Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that it is through his death, the death on our behalf, that he has now destroyed the, the one who holds the power of death the devil himself, so we can be forgiven by God and now be utterly safe in his hands. In other words, no matter how dark things get for you, no matter how awful the suffering you face, no how terrifying a situation you may be in, no purpose of God for your life can be thwarted. If God can use the most evil deed in the history of the human race, the death of his son, to bring about his greater purposes, the salvation of the world, then he can certainly do so with yours. And the more we have this bigger, greater vision of God and all his power and majesty and control over evil, the more comfort and assurance we will have in any suffering 
we face. So we've looked at God's tone, looked at these two creatures. Thirdly and more briefly, let's look at God's blessing. I mean, just look at how it ends for Job at the end of the book. You know, it's not just the question of why when we're suffering. It's all the, also the question of, of how long will our suffering come to an end? When will it come to an end? And wonderfully, it does for Job. Just take a look at verse 7 of chapter 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Finally, vindication for Job. He was in the right all along, an innocent sufferer, a blameless sufferer. He had done no sin to receive this suffering and his three friends were wrong. Vindication and not just vindication, but Job gets all this blessing from the Lord too in verses 10 to 17. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. No purpose of God can be thwarted. And what is God's ultimate purpose for those who trust in him and continue to trust in him? It is vindication, well done, good and faithful servant. And not just vindication, but restoration, blessing, a double portion, if not in this life, then certainly in the next life. And our guarantee is Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Whatever we lose or suffer in this life, for our faith in Jesus Christ, we will get it all back and some. I know it is tough in the lockdown and right now. Some of you are suffering and some of you in suffering are suffering in really quite painful ways. It is easy to let doubts uh, begin to form. Um, is the whole Christian thing true? Can God really be trusted is he in control of everything in this world where most of the world is currently stuck at home? Perhaps you are feeling low. Perhaps you are feeling depressed. Perhaps you are feeling the darkness envelop you and you feel yourself drifting from God and the online services. I hope you can see that whatever we are facing right now, God is in control of it all. And therefore, it is only ever temporary. Vindication is coming. Blessing is coming. God has everything in hand, evil on a tight leash. No purpose of his for you can be thwarted. And so let's draw near to him. We really can trust God with our suffering. Even if we don't have all the answers, all we need is him. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that you have been teaching us throughout the book of Job. And in this final section, the second part of your speech, you show us your power and majesty and control over evil, the cosmic forces of darkness, 
the way that in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, you have dealt with them once and for all. Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended alive, reigning, ruling, and one day will bring all evil and suffering to an end. Please would we therefore trust in you, draw near to you, and receive all the comfort and assurance we need to face the evil and suffering we experience today. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.